0: My first day on elephant duty, the big burly lead keeper, he comes up to me and he says, all right, so we're going to do some sperm collection with the bull. I said, oh, okay. All right, what's that entail? And he goes, do you want to pump or catch? Welcome to From the Ground Up,
1: where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well some of you are driving if you're driving keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show welcome to from the ground up podcast thank you all so much for being here so a little bit to get out of the way portcitypythons.com we have shirts available as well as some supplies so if you would go check it out that would be sweet other than that, what other stuff we have? Uh, we have some. We have a couple of king snakes still for sale. So if you guys are interested, we are getting out of our kingsnake projects, and we have some little female albinos which are super sweet. So they're like pink and yellow, man. What can go better? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's better than that. Even that one strafe one is kind of purpley looking. True. They're cool looking. It's just uh, and they eat perfectly fine
2: just we're changing it up a little bit so we are
1: just we don't have them
2: it, we don't have them available on the website but they're on morph market and fauna and you can always message us on instagram if you're interested
1: yeah and i think i have one they haven't posted up yet so if you want to snag it go Ooh, for it
2: secret stash boom um other than that carpet fest next weekend uh yeah Oh, yeah. Warminster, PA.
1: The OG Carpet Fest.
2: I don't want to take too long on it because we talk about it a lot. But, yeah, it's next weekend. Anyone is welcome.
1: And I guess you should hit up Eric to see what you should bring. Yes. What are we bringing?
2: We don't know. <laughs> it's, we're going to pick off the list. Eric put a list in the uh, Northeast Carpet Fest group, and we're just going to pick off the list. All right.
1: And Travis Wyman will have pies.
2: Yeah, that's the best part.
1: In case you're worried.
2: Okay. Would you like to introduce our guest?
1: Today's guest is a former aza zookeeper he has a youtube channel called reptile mountain tv he keeps a whole lot of skinks as well as antaresia a bunch of different species so it'll be awesome talking to him tc houston welcome to the show and could you uh introduce us to a little bit of what you do
0: hi uh well thanks for having me guys of course. i uh i i breed skinks and other reptiles i just absolutely love uh love them it's an unhealthy passion it's healthy and unhealthy i'd say i um have a tendency to obsess and lose sleep but that's okay we're gonna get go past that and just drink that off real quick <laughs> and uh so i like blue tongue skinks and that's my big thing that i breed right now and i recently started a, a channel called reptile mountain tv uh, to complement my my reptile mountain business which is uh which I thought was a hobby until you can't write off hobbies on taxes anymore. So it's a <laughs> business now. And, um, <laughs> thank you, uncle Sam. And, <laughs> and now, uh, I, I love it. Cause you know, these animals are really, really great pets for a straight up first time reptiler all the way up to, you know, a, a pro herper. They, uh, they really are fun, real critters. So that's what i have been that's doing. True.
1: So what first got you into reptiles?
0: Oh well, you know, I was I was in Boulder, Colorado when I was five years old and there was a hippie dude in the eighties. So eighties hippie. Um, They're all hippie dudes in Boulder, by the way. There's oh, no yeah. regular people. None. None. They
1: just I lived there. I was the only one. Just for a second Boulder? though. Yeah. <laughs> and then i moved to Denver because I oh, learned
0: we learned Planet Boulder. So yeah, out there on Pearl Street Mall um when i was five my mom was shopping and i saw a dude carrying a, a full-blown bcc bci I have, I have no idea what it was but big old boa. and uh I, I thought for a second wait a minute you can have you can have these things outside of the zoo because that's all i'd known and i was like mom i want one like now and of course she gave me a no and got me a toy snake but mm-hmm. uh, about a year later my dad found a garter snake in uh in our little wildlife area near our house and he let me keep it and and that's what started it i i just i love the idea of having animals that are are unique i love dogs don't get me wrong and cats can be cool too um however i just i found that unique animals that are generally quiet I'm not a huge bird. I think birds are awesome in the wild and like in other people's houses, but uh, (laughs) agreed. Yeah. They're just, I don't do with the noise. I I need solitude. And so these little mute critters are great. (laughs) And that's what, that's what started it. I have had reptiles ever since. So since the mid eighties,
1: as far as zoo keeping goes, like, did you know that you wanted? did you want to work with reptiles? I mean, were you working with reptiles or did you work with other animals as well?
0: Um, as a zookeeper, like, yeah, reptiles, well, one, you, it's way easier to get experience and work with reptiles in captivity than it's like elephants or anything. And so um, I loved everything exotic. And my mom and dad took me to the San Diego Zoo often. And, you know, I used to have the little zookeeper outfit. I still, I can't fit in it anymore, but I would wear it anyway. <laughs> just because, you know, the old khaki thing that you can buy. Um, yeah, I put that on, and, like, it was it was perfect. It was what I wanted. And so I wanted to be a zookeeper the rest of my life when I was a little kid and all the way into actually becoming one, uh, which was awesome. And uh, I did in college uh, when I was in zoology. My, my professor, he was comes up to me and says, hey, you have – boatloads of experience in reptiles but there are only a few reptile positions at zoos and sometimes to get into a zoo you needed to take something that's not necessarily what you want and then it's easier to transfer for once you have experience in you have to crack just stick your foot in the door exactly and so he said you need to broaden your horizons dude because you've got you got reptiles covered and and i said okay So, uh, I did an internship in large mammals and uh, with a focus on Asian elephants and white rhinos. But I did get to do an intern or a a rotation with sea lions, hoofstock, and uh, carnivores. So, (laughs) it was so fun. And honestly, if I couldn't keep reptiles, if I didn't get a job as a reptile keeper, I would have definitely sought one as an elephant keeper, even though there's mounds of crap. Those animals are awesome. Literally. Oh, dude, ninety pounds. I believe it was like ninety pounds per animal per day. Oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> it was oh my god. unreal. We would have a, we had a, there was a truck that would back up to the barn, and then you each, each keeper got a wheelbarrow, and you'd be out there with a rake and a shovel, filling the wheelbarrow, and it was at least three wheelbarrows per each animal, elephant, and then you'd you'd get a running start with this uh, wheelbarrow towards this truck that was backed up and you just run, 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 dump. And then, you know, the poop that's like these big, big ass balls of poo would just pile up. And I had to change at the time. My, uh, my, my girlfriend, she made me change in the garage when I came home because I just stank so, so good. It was great. (laughs) My first so, day, I got to tell you this. Yeah. i going to you a crazy story. My first day on elephant duty, the big, uh, big burly lead keeper, he comes up to me and he says, all right, so we're going to do some uh, uh, sperm collection with the bull. And I said, oh, okay. All right. What's that entail? And he goes, do you want to pump or catch? <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I'll I, don't catch. What, yeah. <laughs> I don't
2: know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't
0: know. I don't know. So he hands me this stick that looks like a butterfly net with a bread bag at the end of it. Like, a like a, you know, you can catch stuff with it. Uh-huh. I was like, all right. He says, you hold this. You'll know what to do when you see what's going on. So he brings our big bull in. And they chain each leg up inside this stall. And then he gets a ladder and he puts on a glove up to his armpit. And he just takes a whole scoop of petroleum jelly, lathers it up, all up and down his arm. And I'm sitting there thinking, what in the hell is he about to do? And he climbs up the ladder, he moves the tail to the side, he makes a fist, and he just inside the elephant's rear. And uh, my eyes are like, oh my God, he just accosted this elephant. You know, I'm trying to think, should I call somebody? Is this what he's supposed to be doing? And then he starts doing like a pumpkin. Oh yeah yeah this is making it happen this is my first day i can't believe what's happening and he's doing this and and all of a sudden the elephant starts to go and from below this like freaking gigantic trunk comes out and it ain't his trunk and again my eyes are like dude dude that's awesome you know you gotta appreciate some beauty of nature i guess Cajonus. oh my gosh and it's like movable so seriously so he's the elephant and so wes is pumping and the elephant's doing this and i finally realized what my little stick with my bag is catch and I, uh, uh-huh aren't you glad you chose dog. catch kind of <laughs> kind of and um, so I'm trying to get under there, you know, like, and it's wiggling like this. And Wes is pumping and out the elephant's huffing. And then, da da! And part of it, I catch part of it, and the rest of it flings all close. over the place, uh, all over me, oh God. Oh my, oh. all over. Oh, and I came back for another day. It was unbelievable. That was my first day, an elephant. So I, when I applied for jobs, I thought reptiles would be less <laughs> icky. <laughs> If you will. But I love elephant keepers. I think they're awesome. So sorry. I had to tell you, wow. that. you might have to.
1: I
2: it. mean, I don't know if I would come back for day two.
1: <laughs> I have so many anatomy questions, <laughs> different types. Of...
0: I don't know. It was impressive. That's all I could say. And that was my uh, first day. So I came back. I was like, well, I at least know that I don't want to pump or catch next time. I need to be sick.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: so, that's for sure. So, <laughs> But, so, um, James Lewis
1: in the chat asked, uh, what zoo did you work for?
0: I worked, I interned in Tulsa, and I worked for Houston down in Texas, and then I also interned, like, for five minutes at Oklahoma City uh, when, I, when I got the job down in Houston, so...
1: Sweet. So how did you how you go from catching elephant sperm to, to <laughs> reptiles exactly? Yeah, and
2: how long did you have to do that
1: for?
0: Um, so it was a six-month internship or something like that in Tulsa, and then um, moved over to Oklahoma City, and I was doing more elephants. Actually, I thought you know I'd fallen in love with elephants. If, if that didn't seal the deal for you, you know. Um,
1: <laughs> Once you take a load, I swear, it's like nothing I else. I mean, it's
0: just like you can't get enough, right? Um, (laughs) um, i i had always had the heart for reptiles that was my passion my 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 true desire and so i i'd thrown out applications zoo atlanta oklahoma city was hiring a reptile keeper and houston was and zoo atlanta was like you're a joke i'm not talking to you and then oklahoma city i don't know i have no idea what they they just i never heard from them but i did hear from okc and houston but I, I heard from OKC as I was moving to Houston because I'd got the job. So and I was living in Oklahoma, so I was like, oh, kinda oh. wanted to do that one. But was very happy with Houston and uh and, and moved down there. Um, part of it is like getting a job there was uh a blessing. Part of it was the curator also into my alma mater. So I think he had a soft spot for that. Um, he wanted a young young guy that could be coached and and so that was kind of how i i lucked into it with anything it's really like perfect fit not necessarily the perfect formula
2: right it's it's half you know the people you work with and what you're doing
0: exactly and so i was just i was super super thrilled to get that position and uh boy, boy i learned
2: a lot uh oh that's happened. my Never dad called. So no
0: problem am i back, am I back? <laughs> yes okay good my dad called so my my little boy is he's under the weather so all, all the grandparents worry you know
2: Aww. <laughs> um carly was asking out of the three that you worked at slash interned at what was your favorite
0: they all just had different qualities you know um I loved Tulsa for it. it. It was a small zoo, and you know I really cut my teeth there. It was amazing. Oklahoma City is a phenomenal zoo, and and Houston it has so much to offer. So I, that's really a hard a hard question. I say as far as reptiles go, I I loved Houston because those are the ones I got to work with. But uh, Tulsa and Oklahoma City have awesome reptile departments. So. It it was it was hard to say, you know. So, what
1: kind of animals were you working with? Were you working with hots as well at in Houston? Okay.
0: Oh yeah, that was my main thing. Like that was I loved hots and um, still do. Still love love venomous. Big time fan of the crotalus and the rattlesnakes and and vipers and the, like obscure little dinky things. Um, I had the king cobras in my section. I had a couple of our baby forest cobras in the back. I had like 50, uh, that's an exaggeration, but it felt like 50 Western Diamondbacks. Um, one of the things that happens is you get an animal and it doesn't do well on display and then you have to keep it. Um, and then you try another one and it doesn't do well on display and you have to keep it. And Western Diamondbacks aren't always the best, most calm display animals. Some can be. And so we we kept just going through them, and they all piled up in my section in the behind the scenes. And so I had, like, Western Diamondbacks and Doomerals Boas, like, for for mine in the back. It was just all Doomerals Boas and Western Diamondbacks. A few Forest Cobras, and I had the native U.S. stuff. So that was cool. Uh, Loved that stuff. And then I had the King Cobra nice 10 foot female she was awesome
1: did you have mambas as well
0: we did have mambas i didn't work with the mambas we had two black mambas and then um well you work with everything like i don't know how it is at other zoos but our zoo we had like sections and each keeper has their little assigned section but when that keeper's off and you know an animal takes a crap in the water obviously it has to be serviced when that person's off so you have people rotating through and so we worked with mambas, forest cobras, uh, red spitters, um, a bunch of them, uh, Mexican rattlesnakes and neotropical rattlesnakes. We had kaboom vipers, rhino vipers. Um, we, had, we had the rhino vipers. Um, we didn't even know they were a pair. Uh, and they were a pair and gave birth. And so one day the two was way more than that. So that was exciting. Um, and I, if I, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm imagining this or if it really happened. But I believe that the there was a like a little tiny hole in the side of that rhino viper enclosure mm-hmm. uh, in the back door that was big enough for babies to get through and not adults. And I think that the keeper, when he came in the first day after they'd been born, he found a baby on the floor. Now that could be, now, honestly, like, that's what is, is memory in my head, but I could be completely making that up because I, I don't know why. I don't know. But I, I remember distinctly when I covered his section, like reaching around corners and everything for a long time being scared. So I think it might have been true. Like just kind of like nervous about, you know, oh, you don't want to reach in, grab a bucket and find a bitus in your finger.
1: Yeah, that's a slight oopsie. I yeah. mean, but I guess if you yeah. don't expect the babies, I mean, what are you
0: right. supposed we to? We had no clue, and they're fat little snakes, so it's not like it showed any signs. Um, but that was before I got there. But they were all babies when when I arrived. I had a few in my section, I think, too. I got the leftovers. The new guy gets the leftovers. <laughs> like we don't want this. Here you go. <laughs>
1: What kind of sucks is that, like, I would expect uh, it kind of sucks that you end up with a stockpile of, like, very common snakes, like the Aatrox or something, like, commonly bred, And you know, like, why can't you have, like, 50 Tuataras or something in the back? Or...
0: <laughs> That's kind of how, you know, I, I kind of belly ached a little bit, but, I mean, who am I to speak? Now, I was young and pretty arrogant at the time. Still maybe that way, but older now and arrogant. I don't know. <laughs> but uh i was definitely young and arrogant and i walked in and i was like i think i want that in my section and that i don't want that i'll take that two of those like who am i been there five minutes but uh yeah it was kind of disheartening right off the bat they're like yeah here you go doom boas and those are great animals don't get me wrong but when you have an entire wall of them and they're not handled, handled, so they're all, like, real pissy. And just, it was monotonous.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's also, like, you spent your life dreaming of being a zookeeper, and that's kind of an animal that you could see at a reptile show. And, like, it's... <laughs>
0: that's so true. I, I mean, I did get to, I mean, at the same time, like, you're cleaning Doomrolls boas, and, like, right behind you's Komodo dragons. So it's not like it's so so bad it was me <laughs> right um it was good though it was good and i didn't get to touch frogs anything amphibian was 100 percent our amphibian guy and he's an awesome mm-hmm. dude and and it's probably better that he touched and did everything with those guys but they were uh we had some awesome stuff he had the he was trying to breed the Adelopus zedekai the penny Minion golden frog or golden toad the uh super rare endangered little critter and we had this elaborate setup and he had like, he was trying to make a river in our back with like different tanks, like with pushing water to different tanks all the way through. It was, it was pretty awesome. And I think he was successful. So. Wow. Yeah.
1: So we were kind of talking about, uh, so our friend James in the chat, he used to work at a zoo and he was kind of talking about how zookeepers, I mean, there's really a time limit because you just, aren't getting paid a lot and there's there's only so much time as an adult you can get paid like twelve dollars an hour so i mean like how um how did that work for you like how did you transition out of it um and where was your breaking point you know
0: i had some um sometimes you run into personality conflicts with some people i ran into personality conflict and i realized. I could apply for another zoo job and move around, but it's going to be very similar without any like advancement in uh lifestyle. Let's put it that way. Uh, ramen noodles only go, go so far. And I realized that way faster than I thought I would. And so it took less than a year before I was like, wow, I could have a collection almost exactly like what I have at the zoo. I could be in charge of it like fully. And I could do something else and maybe eat a steak dinner on Friday every once in a while. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh,
0: and that like little light bulb went off. And I decided, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to go back to school. My intent was to go back and get a master's and at least, and eventually a doctorate in zoology and so that was my thought i was like i'll just go get more schooling and get you know maybe be a professor somewhere and uh and play with reptiles and get paid a little bit more (laughs) oh it was brutal yeah it took about a year and i was like yep check please (laughs) i'm done (laughs) i'm done So did you end up going back to school I did go back to school and i got a master's and doctorate but not in zoology so it you know life turned for me so it changed a little bit and uh but yeah i did go back to school full intent on a zoology master's and then switched it like and and still love reptiles all the way through love them love them and i i was so glad i if 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 they paid like real money to be a zookeeper considering you pretty much have to have a bachelor's nowadays minimum i would so do it i would so do it but they don't pay my money like the same amount of money as a kid at chick-fil-a
2: right even Uh, i'm sure even the big zoos
1: it's the same case it's so sad that they know that so many people share this dream of working with animals for a living that they're able to take advantage of that and pay you almost nothing and then i guess the facilities don't have much money to spare in some senses too so i can feel them on that but
0: yeah, it's a tough gig because you want all the money to go to your animals to those animals you want it to go to conservation you want it to be a great experience for the people that go to the zoos so they leave you know it you know wowed and like fully in love with animals and you know on track for conservation and at the same time you actually want to make a living you know and and in a way that is doable i don't know how the keepers here in colorado manage now that they've the prices have gone up in in housing market and stuff. I'm sure they're stacked like six deep in Mm. a one bedroom. I don't know. It's brutal. Yeah, Yeah, if they did it, if they did. And I watched also, I watched how long it took a supervisor or a keeper to go to a supervisor and a supervisor to go to curator.
2: Way too long.
0: Yeah, I would be 50 before I got a chance at supervisor and uh yeah respect to those guys who stick it out man oh absolutely (laughs) oh absolutely there's a few zoos out there that got really lucky they were city and so they paid really well and then the city sold it to private and so they retired the keepers and so they get a pension and then they get a private salary so they're double dipping and that would be the way to go find your way into that (laughs) get lucky (laughs) yeah get lucky
1: so, what did you first start keeping on the on the private side, and why?
0: Um, I liked chameleons. I was head over heels for the Jacksons. Uh, those little horns. You know, I watched Jurassic Park in the theater probably twelve times, and uh, they looked like little dinosaurs. So I had to have a Jacksons chameleon, and so I started keeping those. I had well, my dad bought me a ball python. I still have. He's well, he's twenty nine almost 30 oh. now he's an old boy um and uh I mean I, I loved that snake still love that snake and uh I had him and then got into boas and uh then dart frogs I just loved anything basically if you could buy it from a pet store but you could find it at the zoo that was something I wanted to keep as a kid because I, I wanted to recreate the zoo because I want to be a zookeeper so don't go bad
2: so um, okay, so I have to ask every past zookeeper this. Does working at a zoo kind of ruin going to new zoos for you?
0: Or... It puts a perspective on on observing the cages and stuff like that. Because you can be like, mm, I can see that that keeper's either on vacation or you know maybe they don't service that one as much as they should or they aren't looking in that spot. But boy, that's you know kind of old old skin or old poo or whatever um i you know you look at it differently that's for sure just like if with anything like people who are in the military and then watch army movies and you are like yeah that didn't happen that's not how it works you know or you can't stand when someone's wearing the uniform wrong and it like flaps up and i'm like oh fix your collar please it hurts me
2: Yep, but, uh, I get that yeah. I don't get, get that your too.
0: patches fucked up that's what he God, talks God.
2: about that all the time
0: yeah yeah it's ridiculous and then like you've got your yeah anyway it's <laughs> the same you go in and you see things and you're like oh okay that's cool and then sometimes you're like man i wish that was at my zoo because i would totally want to work it, with that you know especially to like super jealous of dallas super jealous
1: yeah, that's yeah. the one thing that like I went to we went to Dallas Zoo and I was like, "Whoa." I didn't even know that was an option. Now that I'm <laughs> like that's fucking cool. I know.
0: I was like, "Oh my gosh, I want to I want to I wanna hold it." <laughs> I don't want to touch <laughs> it. <Yes. laughs> it's ancient like, relic.
1: You're a unknown being that I don't know it's so inaccessible and so unimaginable in so many ways man it's
0: it's like a lizard it's a reptile it's not even it's a reptile unicorn i tell you it's awesome yeah yeah
2: i think our biggest thing when we go to zoos at least that you point out a lot is the um taxonomy oh yeah. i think that's one of the. well
1: yeah the usually like the educational material sometimes are a little you know they don't update them or something
0: like that it can be a little weird yeah we at our zoo we had two different or at houston zoo they had a graphics department and then the herp department and the herb department used to be the ones who got to write the stuff and then as the individuals and directors changed and things flipped around sometimes it was the graphics department who wrote the stuff and sometimes it was the herpers that got to write it and so it varied on whether or not the animal was correctly named or not and uh
1: that's why yeah. a zoo should hire me to design all their <laughs> graphics. I don't know Dubot, what. Doing. A, a
0: herp, a herp, I didn't or know that was an option. Person. I know there was a
1: graphics department, or else I would have been looking for jobs yeah. way before this.
0: Oh, yeah. Now I yeah. know. Yeah, I'm sure they do web design, like all that stuff now. So you should totally That'd be cool. get them up. So, as far as
1: private keeping, you were into chameleons. So, did you end up getting uh, some Jacksons?
0: I got Jacksons. Uh, well, first I got, I got Werner's chameleons because they were so new. They called them dwarf Jacksons, which is not true. And so um, I got Werner's chameleons and then I got Peroto mountain chameleons, which are Camellio foela bornai, uh, which is similar, also a three horn. And of course those are instantly imported and, and disastrously parasitized and the husbandry back then was purely out of books and you're trying to take what's meant for a Jackson's chameleon from like, uh, from the little small pamphlets you can get and convert it into a Werner's chameleon and, and then they would die and they would just die. They just kept dying. Well, I was getting wild caught rare montane chameleons that hadn't been treated and I was 15 years old and nobody knew anything about them and finally i got real yellow crested jacksons the jackson i example office and and that's when it started to like work for me and i finally bred them and, and and that was exciting i remember that was the biggest day of my my world when there was little tiny baby jacksons in there i was like ah! that was it i was hooked i was like this is it forever
1: And it seems like it seems like you do take some of that like zoo experience, at least what you what you have now behind you and what I've seen on your YouTube channel. It's like you try to be as naturalistic and, you know, as possible.
0: I do. I try. Um, You know, there's as long as it matters to the animal from the animal's welfare perspective, like it's not like they have a mental, you know, emotional connection to whether or not that they're like i love my plant no that's not what they're doing but but at the same time i want to be able to make sure that they can experience the tactile and visual i guess experiences that they would have as much as they can in the wild um, without just putting them back in the wild i mean obviously you can do that and be like hey have fun with the parasites and the predators and starvation and famine and volcanoes and death and have good (laughs) good time with that buddy
1: (laughs) yeah it's like captivity is an upgrade for all of them pretty much no matter what but
0: (laughs) (laughs) pretty much i mean mean, it varies between certain keepers of course (laughs) on whether that's an upgrade or a death sentence but you know i'm hoping that mine have an upgrade they get Perpetual vet care. You know, if they get sick, if they have a boo boo in the wild, they just deal with it. They get, you know, boo boo here, I take them to the dock. Right. So that's good.
1: So, so how'd you first get interested in skinks in particular?
0: Uh, You know, I was thinking, well, I was keeping a lot of reptiles, and it was a hobby, and it was a distracting hobby that my wife was not particularly thrilled about the level of time. That I was obsessing over these scaly creatures in the basement, and so she and I mentioned I was like I could breed these and make some money, and she's like, really? Well, do that and make it worthwhile.
1: And so I used the same method. That's great. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. She was like, absolutely. Like she was not into it at all. Like there's money in it. I mean, wink, wink. Maybe one day. I don't know. Ever. yeah
0: yeah, and so like i she says yes you can like let's do this commercially and and for me there's like there's never been a, a, a change in welfare whether these are all pets that i'm passionate about or you know livestock that i'm using as breeders it doesn't change the care level but uh we upped it for commercialization. And I thought I need something. I mean, I, I personally wanted to do Gila Monsters because they're the best pet, excuse me. They're the best pet ever, except for that like pesky venomous part. And, you know, <laughs> that, that, pair, little <laughs> that little stinky little bite will just kick your booty. And um, not that I've been and fortunately don't plan to. Uh, yeah you can't really confident you know there's this little liability thing I just didn't want to do that on a major scale and try and make some you know money for it and so I I gotta do something snakes have been done no offense to anyone who's done snakes snakes are awesome but they have been really well done Um, and so are lizards however lizards are more I don't know welcome in homes where maybe the parents or one of the partners in the relationship isn't so keen on reptiles because it's got legs. It's got a little bit more, um, human characteristics, not that it's at all a human at all, but it's more dog-like than a snake. And so I thought, Hmm, if I could get something that would have maybe legs, that's a start because that helps with all the snake haters out there because um, I don't want to spend all my time trying to convince people that snakes aren't bad, even though they're wonderful. And I love people who do that because I'm grateful for that because we need that. It's just like I need a reptile. I need a reptile that's something that people can actually be okay with and not freak out. So I've got friends that like hate snakes, right? They come over and they're okay seeing the lizards. They don't, they don't want to see any snakes. Like, if it's a snake, I don't want to see it, right? And of course, naturally, I take a snake out because like, <laughs> they're already in my house. You came over, it's your fault. And so, but in general, if I'm going to sell something, I want something that isn't so scary, oogie boogie, eat your eyes and you know, all that. And so I thought lizards would be good. Um, blue tongues happen to be one of the easiest things. Dog food. Um, they they're a decent size, but they're not so small. They're not too big. They're not like monitor level. Um, you don't have to feed them a single live, moving anything. So you know, moms that don't want to deal with bugs, and families that don't want to have you know frozen rats next to their frozen pizzas in the freezer. Uh, the whole so I was like skinks, can wet food, easy. We can do this, and and I think it would be a good thing. So I went for it. Turns out it was okay. So, risk well,
1: off. yeah, you you think about how many people their first pet nowadays seems to be so often. Parents are easily swayed to get like a bearded dragon, but to oh, be I'm honest, bearded them. dragons are kind of hard to keep in a sense, and also they're usually feeding on insects as
0: well. They exactly like it blows my mind. Like, I think beardies are great. I would personally probably never own one. Um, cause I, I, I don't like beardy hater over here. Oh, um, no, I, I, I love bearded dragons. Go watch my channel. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, I'm not a thrill, like, it's not like something I'd love, but yeah, it dries. I don't understand. Like, there's constant salads and little veggies that you gotta do, and there's, There's constant insects, and then the UVB requirement for them, like it's a straight-up requirement. You can't supplement through diet and have a healthy beardy, really. Um, It's just intense. And then there's the hydration issue, and people end up with impacted animals because they don't have them on – and then everyone's got them on tile and I can't wait to go to the outback and walk on all the tile out there.
2: <laughs>
0: I mean, what country tiles their entire wilderness?
1: Well? Do they on green turf? That green oh man. Astro turf <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: uh, <laughs> <Astro-turf> stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know about beardies. I know people, but they breed really easy. Skinks are a little harder to breed. They're a little rougher. Um, not to get to breed, but the, there's some violence in, involved. There's some rough critters. I did not go at it. Yeah, yeah. This past season, we had a breeder. Um, she had a female get her arm ripped off, like off.
1: Ah. So was he yeah. going for her neck and just hit the arm, or
0: hit the arm and then, you know, in his infinite wisdom, he's like, I should do a death roll instead of <laughs> let go, and he did, and <laughs> beep, off.
2: Oh my god.
0: Yeah. I I would have probably thrown up. I threw up when I caught a glass lizard once and it broke in my hand. Like I, I thought it was a snake and I thought my snake the snake had exploded in my hand. Like and for some reason that freaked me out and I just puked all over everywhere outside. <laughs> and my um, fellow herping buddies were never gonna let that down. No, I just brought it up. Well, why do I don't want to do that.
2: I mean i i do it too. It's hard for me to have this conversation right now. <laughs> Joe did not let me know it's gonna be about legged like, creatures. It's funny, I'm opposite of everyone else. You like snakes? I really. Hates snakes I'm team. I hate anything with legs. I'm except for obviously the dogs and whatever, but like the reptiles with legs, skinks freak me out. His niece, his sneeze his niece have has one, and it's like anytime it comes out, I don't know. They freak me out. They're too like.
0: Oh. So, I, I have
2: no uh, rational reason behind yeah. it. No rational reason.
0: Well, I'm glad you're in the minority because my business would be. Bad.
2: <laughs> no, it's a good thing. I, I hundred percent. Every time I talk about it on a podcast, everyone's like, "No, like everyone else is team legs." I just. <sighs> yeah. I, no. it,
0: I I could see some of those little, the ones that I wear the the skink or the, skinkella. There's a little tiny skink that has like. Teeny tiny legs. It literally looks like a snake with paddles. And I you know, that one kind of weirds me out because I I always feel like it's just little worms protruding out of its body. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> just get rid of them. Evolution took care of that. Right.
1: <laughs> so when when I kept skinks, I don't know what I didn't know like the dog food thing so like I don't know if I was keeping some like hipster skink, but because like the they used to back in the day, you take a bunch of greens, you take like some fucking raw meat, you take some calcium, weird stuff. like Like I used to put full eggs in there with eggshells and stuff for calcium and do this whole greens mix as well as some like raw ground turkey sometimes and some different things and blend it all up and then give it to the skink. Uh, yeah. It sounds like dog food's easier uh what's better for them? i mean like do you do dog food yourself is there a certain uh is there a certain level of quality that the food needs to be yeah
0: yeah um yeah that's what they used to do is what you did and that was the pretty standard and, and a lot of people there's there's still those hipsters out there um that they have to have they, they go it's healthier and fresh and I'm like organic free range thing. Yes, free-range skinks. And um, what happened was they started um, – some folks were like, you know, this is pretty much – this is dog food that I've just made. Why don't I try this? Because <laughs> it comes in a can, and this is like a pain in the ass. And so they tried that, and then it actually yeah, – the whole group of animals improved. Um. Because it's formulated, it's got a lot better balance of nutrition in there. Like, a lot of folks are like, "Eh, three eggs today and a dab, dab, dab. You know, it's like they're winging it. Whereas this is like really formulated with right calcium phosphorus ratios and, and, you know, the amounts of different amino acids and stuff in it for a dog. And a dog is like a pseudo omnivore. And so it worked really well for them, and it just started rocketing. I use um, several different brands. The things that I require when I look at a brand is I, I want to look for um, the first few ingredients are, like, real meats. Uh, I'll, I also will look for, like, turkey meal or chicken meal. Believe it or not, they're, like, ground beak and stuff is really good for critters that uh, – that eat carrion and eat whole prey items. So I'll do that. Uh, I look for veggies in the dog food, Um, whole veggies. That's important. So when they're putting in zucchini, when they're putting in, um, I don't know, zucchini, spinach. Spinach isn't really that great, but um, squash is another one that's really good. If they've got those kinds of items in the food, sometimes carrots, carrots, it's the equivalent of you know the greens that you're mushing up, uh, and it works really well. And and the animals are actually they live longer, they uh, are more vigorous, they they have typically larger litters, and they are overall healthier on dog food compared to the home brews. What I call it, it's crazy. I, I I know I sound like a nut or a lazy person because someone will be like, well. Oh, I took all the work. Well, great. You're still starving your animal to death in certain places. So try the whole complete package, you know?
1: Uh, yeah, it just seems a lot easier, to be honest. Let's just go there. I mean, <laughs> if, it's, if the animals are doing well and it's 10 times easier and it can enable any it can enable anyone to, to keep that animal. So if you were at a reptile show before, you were like, all right, so you're going to do this. You're going to take the spring mix. You're going to put... Eggs in there, you're gonna do it and blend it all up and all that shit.
2: You're gonna turn half the people off just yeah. saying that.
1: But if once you're... you say just dog food, they're like,
0: Whoa, okay, I can do that, right? And I don't feel guilty about it. Like, if it was like inferior and like animals on homebrew were living into their 30s and dog food animals were living into their like teens, I'd obviously stop it. But it's the complete opposite. I had like they I'm not aware at this point of any animal that has lived past 25 on homebrew there's multiple animals over 25 and in the 30s on dog food so it's like crazy but it works so it's like yeah here can of alpo not alpo actually can of nature's logic turkey and have a good time
1: (laughs) yeah and now darren in the chat he asked what do skinks
0: eat in the wild because i don't really know either they, they're opportun after a few beers, let me see if I can say this, opportunistic omnivore generalists. I said it. I think I said it. Did you hear it? Yes. Okay, yeah, Got it.
2: Don't know what it means, but we heard it.
0: Opportunistic omnivore generalists. So basically anything they can eat, they will eat. Uh, typically in the wet season, snails are plentiful, so they're going to eat a lot of snails. They have really strong jaws for crushing those shells, and it gets them some good calcium. They're going to eat carrion. So you see a lot of dead kangaroos out there in Australia and um, they're going to be munching on that. They're going to eat the fur. They're going to come across if there's a a rodent's nest, they're going to come across and munch on all those little baby rodents. There's birds and eggs on the ground. They're going to munch on that. Down flowers, they'll eat vegetation and berries. They prefer protein items that are animal based. So anything that's an invertebrate, they're going to eat insects and, those sorts of things but then they're going to find fruits too if they can find any sort of natural wild fruits they're going to eat that um and uh yeah so that's kind of what they eat in the wild
2: uh so their body can break down pretty much anything
0: yeah yeah absolutely they have quite a range of abilities for digestion it's pretty awesome you can they're little tanks. You could just feed them whatever. Well, not whatever. Don't take
1: that.
2: Right, Especially right. That. <laughs> but they, they have the. I worry
0: utility. about them <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs>
1: Some people take things too literally. But... Right.
0: <laughs> yes, they do. But um, yeah, yeah, they just they can they can chow down, and and in fact, they'll eat they'll eat other animals' feces. They've they like Australians will be sitting in their backyard, watch a blue tongue walk up and eat their dog's turd, and like, mmm, yummy dog food just dog food pre-digested for them.
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay yeah literally so they'll
0: even see them eat dog food out of their dog's bowls so they'll like if their dog's bowls outside then they'll be like there's a blue tongue wizard snatching your food dude there you go
1: wild wild skinks prefer it
0: that's right so, <laughs> it's crazy <laughs>
1: so general keeping otherwise it looks like obviously you have some cages behind you um i also saw you have some crazy awesome like tub type setups can you talk about basically both alternatives
0: yeah so um the stuff behind me is um just a kind of a freedom breeder or not freedom breeder 40 breeder just looking at a freedom breeder um a 40 breeder exoterra and um that's pretty much the absolute smallest you really want to go um so they can thermoregulate stuff like that and then i got these tubs um the, the racks that i have are um kind of inspired by Ty park i was watching uh camp kenan uh, kenan harkin was at Ty park's place showing off his blue tongues and Ty park had these racks um similar and it, like the second I was like taking screenshots, I was like, Oh, this is happening right now. So, I wanted it as big as possible, but I wanted overhead lighting simply because I want a diurnal species to have some sort of lighting, and that was just important to me. And so, I, I, I kind of designed it so that it would fit through um, my doorways. Ties are like a built in at, at his little facility or not a little facility it's a big at <laughs> <laughs> his big facility and so i thought well i need something that's going to go through doorways and so i built these little individual towers that are three tall because i'm short you know other people could do to- totally do four but i did three and uh i kind of like them because it gives enough space for the animal they're three foot by two foot so they're more floor space than a 40 breeder um when i get overhead heat with them i can offer uv if i want uh it's a it's a nice little setup. Also, a little bit more costly as far as electricity, because uh, overhead lighting is. I mean, you're heating the entire space, as opposed to the you know underground or ground heat, where it's just that that tape, and it just needs to get to the belly of the animal. So.
1: Yeah. So that's something that is usually. I mean, people don't even consider giving their skinks light. So, I mean, like. What is your preference? Obviously you prefer that, but what's the
0: detail behind it? Even my, even my, my racks that are just D70 racks, even for my snakes, I try to find a way to get light to them through like bouncing it off the wall. And so it's not a direct in their face light, but it's a kind of a passive version of light and it's on a cycle um, simply because I, I feel nature has light and you know there's daytime and nighttime and I want my animals to experience as much of nature as they can within within reason and so if I can provide light by throwing a, a light on top I will if I can provide you know tactile experience of moving through branches I'll throw branches in there it's not uh It's not some, like, noble cause of an emotional connection with the animal or anything. It's literally just to give them as much experience as they can. I know that enrichment is a key word these days. And, um, you know, if you don't use your brain, it falls. It doesn't work. It atrophies. And so I figure they can experience whatever they can experience, and I want to give them as best they can without getting ridiculous with it. So obviously large collection you can't just you know, target train every animal to jump through hoops and you know free willy so. <laughs> and uh do you actually
1: prefer the the overhead heating is there any uh, advantage over belly
0: people say that there is because they're like well the sun's from the sky um <laughs> yes it is servants, honey. um A lot of skinks won't actually bask in direct sunlight. Yes, they will sometimes, but not always. Uh, Sometimes after the sun's heated something, they'll move out over a warm rock that's been heated but is actually shaded, and they will thermoregulate that way. Um, And so belly heat works just as well, or ground heat. I like the overhead lighting because it's easy because I can light them up and use heat at the same time. If I could use belly heat and save some cash, because it's costing a butt ton to do this, um, I would. But I'm already pot committed with doing it all, so (laughs) it's too late for now. But maybe in the future, if I could wave a wand and do something, I could get ground heat with maybe a light that's just UV. And I think that's probably what I would do. Because it seems that my animals that are in, in racks, like babies and stuff, they're grow outs they do better on belly heat to be honest with you but i don't have any actual evidence or data research to to back that up it's just an observation so
1: and temperatures uh what exactly are you looking for temperature wise
0: so blue tons really do well or the australian stuff does well at 95 and above for a warm side um i try to shoot for a hot spot a hot basking area um someone's going to get bent about spot it has to be big enough for the animal um for around 100 to 102 it can go up to 120 to be honest with you uh, they won't utilize it all very long but they will bask in that air that space but i would recommend 100 102 105 um mine seem to come up and enjoy that and then mosey on down into the cooler side and then the cool side i try to keep them between 75 and 78 on the cool side so it gets hot in my room so i also have an ac that you might hear kicking on all the time
2: which is oh we haven't heard it at all
0: excellent that's good (laughs) that's why i'm in this room and not the other one right next to the ac so but yeah the uh the heat does um it's hotter than you know most colubrids for sure and
1: it, it doesn't seem like one of those things to where, you know, if I heat my snakes up to 90 degrees, they're all going to like regurge. It's going to have consequences, but it seems like you're able to range it as long as it's hot. Right. There seems
0: to so be a range. As long as that one, one area that's at least as big as their body is 100, 100 degrees, they're doing great. And they'll, they rarely hit that cool side in the 70s. But I mean, the temp goes off at night and it cools down in my room. I do have um, little 40 watt ceramic heat admitters for night that put a little bit of temp in there because my rooms get down into the well, without those, they would get into the low 60s and they can deal with that. uh, But I've just always had respiratory infections if I don't use ceramic heat admitters and keep it at around 70. And so, other people that are successful at dropping it way low i'm jealous but i i can't, I can't seem to do it without respiratory infections so i just rather not <laughs> so
1: and is there any specific humidity requirements
0: not particularly most um so australian stuff does fine at household humidity the winter when it's really dry um i i will mist their substrate just to keep them a little bit damp um I run a humidifier in here, but it's Colorado. It's dry, man. And so I run a humidifier and it's like 40% humidity here in my room. Uh, the Indonesian species need a lot higher humidities. Um, the Irian Jaya is 60 to 70%. Um, the Halmaharas need around 80% humidity. Uh, wow. It's a classic uh, indonesian species or gigas, uh, the classic indonesian blue tongue around 70 to 80 percent would be a good target um, the maraukes uh, they need around 70 or, or so as well and um, that's what this one is behind me is marauke and so she's in a she's got tons of moss and i've got the all the vents covered up so she gets a little nice sauna But everyone else is just totally chill. So that's what makes the Australian skinks uh, so good for pets. Because just most households are fine. You don't have to worry about humidity. If you can just reach a basking spot of 102, you're golden.
1: So can you explain a little bit of, obviously you just went through all the Indonesians, but can you explain a little bit the difference between... Like the Northerns, and I think they're Centrals too, as far as the Australian skinks go?
0: Yeah, so there's several species. So there's the, the Northern Blue Tongue skink, which is the heaviest and girthiest. So that's your, your chubby tank. Um, they reach approximately two feet uh, total length, and they're the most prolific, most available here in the United States captive bred they breed really well they're really hardy animals um then there's and there's eternally... those have
1: mutations right sorry for interrupting they,
0: oh no no they have that's fine they have uh visual traits we we try to not call them morphs or anything because they're more polygenic and line bred stuff so you got like orange lines and white lines and dark lines and red lines um i think the most recent that come out was was magma which is pretty cool uh it's like a super orangey red um kind of a hue to them it's as if you'd taken stain like wood stain and stained the animal uh that's kind of what they look like uh and those are those are expensive some of those suckers a couple grand can Mm -hmm. uh for a for a lizard is is not cheap anyway and then the easterns they have more of your genetic traits so that's your, like, albinos, melanistics, T-positives. Most of those are in Australia and not in the United States. There are some here, and they were discovered after the importation ban. So link, link. you can do the math on how. Well, yeah, we yeah. keep, we keep link, carpets link. and stuff. We know the deal. <laughs> how did this get here? I don't know. 10,000. 10,000.
2: <laughs> magic, magic.
0: so yeah that's that's rough there are some that they've been legally imported with paperwork how they got to hong kong or ukraine or or germany or <laughs> nobody knows so but you know prove innocent until proven guilty america
1: i mean at, at the end of the day i mean these are you know it's a mutation that's captive bred um right So i don't condone it but
0: i don't condone it either i don't like the methodology of getting them out sometimes it's a little rough on the animal i'm not a fan of the welfare issue right but at the same time there is not a population of albino eastern blue tongued skinks that is being decimated in australia we're not hurting the wild period now on the other hand like you said the centralians they don't have any identifiable morphs that I'm aware of, or at least genetic animals that I've seen. There might be an albino out there somewhere, but no one's really breeding them. But those individuals are my favorite. Um, and they're super rare in the United States. I only know of three legal ones and our friend, uh, up in Michigan, who's another YouTuber, he has those. And, um, I wish uh, they, those would breed and I would, I want them badly, but those are amazing little skinks. Those are from the central part of the Australian outback really. And they, they're one of the smaller little skinks, uh, about half the size of a Northern. Really? Know, yeah. Maybe a little bit bigger, but uh, they're just this little chubby striped tank. And, uh, and Their tongue comes out super fast compared to the others, it's just on, on, on overdrive. It's awesome. And there's a uh, there's western blue tongue skinks that are found along the western side of Australia and into the southern central, I believe. Uh, there's blotched blue tongues, and there are westerns here in the US um, that are being bred. I believe Great Basin Serpentarium, uh, Joey, he just had a western born like two days ago. So, can cheers to that! That's awesome um there's blocked blue tongues which are super cool too and they're they're more well there's an alpine version that could get really cold um that's cool oh they're wicked cool and uh they have uh they have like really deep orange and black they just look like a halloween animal then there's also and there's also what else is there the eastern and there's the pygmy blue tongue, which nobody should have. They had them for sale in Germany. And those are absolutely smuggled. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call that poached. Is, they're that, super is that dangerous. a very they rare animal? animal uh, yeah, they thought they were extinct until like, uh, they, they found a, uh, a I think it was a mulga. One of the a lapids in Australia, they ca- captured it and in its stomach was a pygmy blue tongue. So they're like, well, they're obviously not extinct if they're getting eaten. So they they found them and they're like breeding them now in the zoo and trying to get them up to up to a larger number which is awesome but those are super cool they don't even really have a blue tongue and then uh, I think that's all of them and then of course you got your shinglebacks which look like pine cones they're flipping
1: that is something to where um, if they were more readily bred and weren't like ridiculous amounts of money they That is such an interesting animal that's something that I'd consider keeping
0: oh yeah, and you know the the trouble with them is they only have like one or two offspring, and they pair for life, right yeah, yeah, they are pretty pretty monogamous in that aspect, I mean, after a few beers, you might get around <laughs> you know on a trip out in the in t d y those military films. um. Or they, you know, they go to Vegas. But for the most part, they are monogamous, and that's pretty awesome. Uh, they, they will. Uh, I, I know some folks that have had trios, and so sure. they, you know, they, they do that. Um, but yeah, they don't have that many babies, and that's one of the the drawbacks if you're trying to breed them and get them up into big capacity. Kind of like Not very commercial, bacteria. you know, it's nothing to no. make money off of, or... like the monkey tails, you know, they have takes forever to get a baby
1: right now uh sorry i got us off topic with the shinglebacks but those are fucking that's
2: awesome still skinks yeah They're we're so still
1: awesome. talking skinks so uh right. um species, what's the the breeding season like in comparison to the australian stuff
0: well some of that's pretty um, mysterious um uh, we haven't really figured out we me and the mouse in my pocket most of the breeders haven't White narrowed down all of the uh aspects of what it takes to ovulate in the and catch ovulation and, and especially in the indonesian specific like the Nama, or the uh primary classic indonesians and the Halmahera indonesians uh joey again at great basin he did do uh he did breed the classic indonesian blue tongues i believe Almaharas, which is a locality that might actually someday be tax moved into a different complete species or subspecies. But uh, for now it's still a locality of the Indonesian. It, um, I don't believe it's been actually bred in captivity uh, in the United States, at least
1: people really? just can't That's figure
0: a, it out. Imported animal I, no, it drives me nuts too, because it's because it, it's heavily imported. It's epically cheap um it's one of the harder animals to keep simply because of the humidity and it's the number one animal recently at shows and and so folks want a skink there's no northerns available there's no anything else they go get a homohera and some people get them because they're awesome because they want a homohera but most people just want a skink and this will do and then it ends up suffering and people are struggling with the humidity. And it's just imported in massive droves, droves, and people aren't, aren't breeding them. Because so we just can't. And it's not that people aren't trying. There's lots of good breeders out there trying to get them to do it. And, and there's just nothing. It's not working. It sucks.
1: That does suck because that's what I had a helmet hair when I had one. Then I'm like, damn, I should have tr- actually tried. That's I didn't know it was difficult. You
0: could have been a legend, man. Not long, <laughs> it. It another
1: slipped right through my fingers. <laughs> that's but,
0: right. Yeah, uh, they they're tough. I don't know. Could
2: you shed some light on? Oh, I hate when I say one oh, like that. Sorry. Uh, shed some light on the breeders like the community of breeders within the skinks like we just know nothing about that Uh,
0: skink breeders are pretty tight-knit group Um, you know we're humans so we have our share of drama but it's nothing like the old uh, python regis groups those fellers can't get along but we we and I'm, I'm grateful to say I'm a part of we because they've been very welcoming to let me into the community. Uh, they're a great group of people. They love their animals. Most, most all of them are just doing it because they love the animals and they would do it if they couldn't sell any of their animals. And they would be that crazy cat lady kind of person with just rows and rows of, of blue tongues if nobody bought them. In fact, Ray Gerge is that crazy cat lady. I love you, Ray. Um, uh, he has so many because he just loves them. Not because he can't get rid of them. Cause he's like, ah, I'm going to keep this one as a holdback. <laughs> <laughs> he looks at him. That's a holdback letter. Um, and uh, the, the breeders really are a pretty close-knit group. Um, we support one another. Right now, because the skinks are a hot ticket, there's like zero competition. It's just like, you know, I'm out go by over here I'm out go by over here uh you know there's very little aggression or bickering or any of that there's there's always some because there's people but that's that's about it um most of the breeders like I said are, are just kind of hobbyists they would be considered hobbyists and uh just do it in our basement or our garage or back room or whatever very few commercial and folks
1: like uh it seemed like it was probably like 2014 or something is when they started like going crazy because people were obviously promoting them but um it doesn't seem like supply ever really caught up to that demand since then because it doesn't seem like anyone's really besides riggery i'm sure but Right. He well, seems to be very successful, but I don't know anyone else who's very successful.
0: It's hit and miss with them. Um, this year, I had a phenomenal year, but it varies between I had a female have 15 babies. I had a female have two. Um, and then two years prior, the female had 13, that same female oh. that had two. So it's it waxes and wanes. Um, and probably next year, she'll have 14 or something crazy like that. Uh, so it's it's kind of hard to gauge, like, what an average clutch size is going to be or litter size will be. And supply has been slow, mainly because it's violent. It takes a lot of work because you can't just throw them together and, and walk away. You have to actually, like, be there and watch it which is just not not because you're kinky but because you literally because you have to make sure they stay alive yes because you don't want them to bite each other's arms off and, and uh you actually want to see a good copulation we've had males um you know they'll nick a hemipene with a claw, so you want to try and watch out for that um i gotta have a buddy who uh he has one of his males had a hemipine like nicked off like chopped off like bobbit style and (laughs) (laughs) it's terrible uh for this lizard i can't imagine watching that but you know it's violent even even then and that that all went well well if you can imagine so a lot of people unlike snakes where you could just like throw them in there although it sounds like your palmetto Male doesn't play nice. He's Psycho. Out with girls. Well, like
1: it's like it's like king snakes though. Like we need to watch the king snakes. But the thing is, the king snakes have recurved teeth. They bite the female pretty straightforward. They hang on. With a skink, they have those serrated teeth that are made for ripping. So it's like it seems yeah. like a disaster.
0: Well, they just have that super powerful jaw. Is really what it is. And and then they 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 seem smart. They look smart. But they're not smart. they're not smart they're dumb as rocks and they will go and bite and, and an overzealous male will just bite 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 bite, and he'll break bones i had a male that almost had his like orbital bone crushed by another female um when she just whipped around and said i got a headache and wham, and it was over for them that night and it's just yeah it's violent and it, and it also takes a little bit of time. Plus, you can't sex them very easily, so you can't sell sexed skinks that well. So that's a little challenge. So you have to buy like four and hope for the best. That's what that's what I recommend anyway. If someone wants to go out and be a breeder, just go buy four babies and that are unrelated and hope for a nice ratio. Plus, males got to be in the mood. I don't know what it is with some male skinks, but they they they're all particular. And you put him in with a female, and he's like, no. I don't I don't want." And that just ruins everything, because she's not going to go. She's all in the mood. She's waggling her tail and everything. And he's just like, meh. That sucks. <laughs> so it's a challenge. And I think that's part of why uh, they haven't got the supply to meet the demand yet.
2: Because you're swimming upstream a little bit with it,
0: it seems. Yeah. and And, and it still keeps a lot of popularity with folks because they've they've realized wow this is a cool lizard this is a cool pet it's pretty simple i can be very successful in keeping this animal alive if i could get one and so people are all about it which is awesome
1: yeah and this is something that uh we got to you off course but uh australians so do you uh do you have to like brumade or anything for for breeding
0: some do uh the more temperate stuff um i broom i you don't technically have to brumate the northerns at all i do because it syncs them all on the same page that way they're all uh, in the, you know, just on the natural cycle together so i'll take i'll take them the northerns and brumate them at room temp and that's easy um, okay but the easterns have to be a lot a lot colder and so same with the blotched blue tongues, which are those alcohol, some of them are Alpine and they're higher elevation. So it, it varies if you will, but the, do northern, you feed
1: like during season, that period?
0: Mm-mm. No, I cut off food in November uh, and then I just turn off the heat and then I give them down to four hours of light a day. And so they'll get four hours of light a day through November, the whole month of November into about mid December And the Northerns are actually like winter breeders. So they live in a, I mean, it's a tropical environment up there in Northern Australia and in the Northern Territory. So it's not that cold. And so they're still out and about and moving around. That's when they breed. So they breed together um, in in December, January for the Northern Hemisphere, the Southern Hemisphere. They're doing it the opposite, obviously. But, uh, and so, yeah. I, I throw them together in December, and that's this year I threw them earlier than normal, and that's when I had my best year ever, so i'm going to start mm. doing them in December instead of January yeah. We're cool <laughs> yeah and
1: how do you exactly once you have babies you were talking about uh it seems like you set up babies in racks
0: I do I do. I have them all in like v 18 racks. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then yeah. uh, you were saying it's kind of a pain in the ass to get babies started.
0: um well, for they're easy to eat. It's just that they eat almost every day. and uh-huh. <laughs> so like I have these baby uh, anterasia like the Stimson's Pythons and the baby pygmy Pythons, and we were talking about how like you gotta assist feed them a little bit sometimes, and you're like, oh man, that's a lot of work and I, not compared to baby skinks because baby skinks eat every single day and they poop every single day. So you wait two days on a baby skink and they have, like, pooped twice, ran through it, paper macheed the entire size of their tub, hit the ceiling, spun around. I mean, I, I tell you, these little rascals are the messiest little boogers. I think they think it's fun. I mean, part of me would be if I really was an anthropomorphic type of guy and I thought they had personalities, I think they were screwing with me, um, just to play, (laughs) but yeah. So feeding them every day and it's no big deal if you have 10 or 20, but when you're dealing with like this year, I had 68 babies. And so it's a lot of little, little foods and little poops and each one of them, needs attention and needs that time and it it takes a little bit of work to just it's monotonous but you get through it it's
1: is there a certain amount of or snake
0: is there a certain amount of
1: time so like for us you know it'd be like five meals in a row that's an established baby it's ready for sale and is there some type of window there for a baby skink
0: i i like to do three weeks i just want to know that they are eating well they've gone through their first shed they usually shed in their first week, so once they're about seven days old, they shed, and then you can tell like what they're gonna kind of a little bit what they're gonna look like, and and they do um, they do pretty well with the, with about a week, but I prefer three weeks because it just I don't know it feels better. They're more girthy. They're less timid. Um, they get really squirmy, and things can go south on a baby really early. So I do three weeks with them. So that's three weeks of 21 days of 21 meals and 21 poops, and and each uh, and and so it takes a little bit. Like baby season is my busiest season. There is just nothing, nothing that gets scheduled. I don't go to movies. I don't get to go out. My wife hates baby season because I just live down here, outside of work. <laughs> But I mean, they're cute little farts. So.
2: <laughs> and are you vending shows mostly, or selling them mostly online?
0: I do all online. I am kind of hypochondriac or like paranoid about shows because I don't know. I I like shows. I think they're great. I'm just super paranoid about taking any animal from my collection to be Out around the world oh, oh man and there's other people and, and and other people with reptiles and their reptiles could have the cooties um <laughs> more so like mites and crypto and volcanoes and death and earthquakes and tornadoes and it just goes in my head that i i can't do the expo with my critters i
2: i, I understand yeah. it it's definitely yeah i get it <sighs>
0: I mean, if if I had the guts or I had a quarantine room and would be like, all right, you guys are going, like, a quarantine room that's specifically for expos, you know what I mean? Like, I could be like, all right, this is the expo room. It's going to go through here until you go out. But I just, I panic about it because I've been to some expos where I'm pretty sure that the guy was vending dead animals or, like, soon to be dead animals. Oh, we've 100% seen it and it's like, I don't want you to hold cute little squiggly whatever, and then come hold my animal. And I don't want to be the guy that goes, no, you can't touch it until you buy it. Cause I've been that kid that wants to do that. And then I feel like very insulted when the vendors were like, no, you can't, you can't touch it till you buy it kind of thing. I'm like, well, and I don't want to be that guy. So I do all online for now. Who knows? Maybe if, if, FedEx like stops shipping or something and I'll be screwed. I'll have to do it. But for now, for now it's all online, thankfully.
2: Right. Um, and as far as shipping, I know our window that we don't ship is really usually like November to January or February, but considering how hot you have to keep them is your, win- and
1: you're
0: also in Colorado. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So is, is your
2: window that you don't ship fairly
0: large? Um, it's, it's larger than most places it's not as small as like arizona where you can ship like september 1st to september 2nd um, <laughs> i'm just kidding but um it's so hot there like you take your skink outside and it dies of heating so but um now i ship generally right at baby season it's just starting to be warm enough in colorado i use a lot of the times i'll do a heat pack uh, or um cryopack phase 22s so you know the the little switcheroo thingies, but most of the time they're okay because they can handle that cool temperature shortly. Um, if it's as long as it's going to be 50 or above, I'm okay with shipping. As far as the low goes, for the most part, I did have two weeks ago. Oh, I had two weeks ago. Great weather, Colorado, 70 degrees outside. Pack them up, take them to FedEx, ship them off, and then the temperature drops like 30 degrees and it's snowing and the fricking airport closes. And I am freaking out. Like we had nine babies stuck in Denver airport. I was losing my mind. Thankfully, all of them are fine. They all made it to their houses. That's the cool thing about like when you're shipping for the most part, if you're shipping hub to hub, which is the only thing I do now, like it's, it's pretty legit. It's minimal time most places are really good and uh, kudos to fedex for doing that so
1: yeah yeah it's i can imagine not having that option or doing delta dash or something you know i was never around during those days luckily i
0: guess oh, delta yeah i used to know them very well i still every once in a while i've done delta with Helis because you got to do venomous through them but gosh i that was another reason why I was like, I can't do healers, because then you gotta build a box. You gotta make wooden boxes every time. Could you imagine like doing that on a commercial scale? I don't know.
1: And it's not even like uh it's not even like the animals are more well in healers it is, the animals are, you know, pretty valuable. But if you're doing that for like a Gaboon viper that you sold for hundred and twenty five dollars every time,
0: I mean I that would Is it really worth it? <laughs> yeah. yeah right plus the liability Don't the guy's gonna
1: plus people's
0: it. lives yeah, <laughs> yeah someone's gonna freehandle it and lose an arm. no big deal <laughs> to you you didn't tell me <laughs> but yeah i yeah I'm, I'm grateful that i can still ship here in the end you know uh reptiles express and um ship your reptiles and reptiles to you and all those good companies. I'm really glad they are out there and they have all the supplies. It makes it just so much easier for I like time. I'm like, cheers guys. Good work.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Making it all possible for
0: real. Yeah, um, big time you, so you still keep some heels. I do. I do. I love, I love them. And it's the only thing legal in Colorado. Uh, because obviously i guess other things are dangerous or something
1: well i try to get a hog nose there and you would think uh i don't know oh man yeah (laughs) i think it was a gaboon viper
0: yeah seriously you can't have hog nose anymore
1: Mm
0: -hmm. although on the fish and wildlife thing it says you can you can collect for but you can't own them so i don't know what you're doing with them after you've collected them i guess you have to juggle them (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> what is that for entertainment mean? purposes? So.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Uh, dry, but technically, I guess they they say you can't have any venomous snakes. So, is a garter snake venomous? I've heard that's venomous sometimes, and it's like, well, come on, guys. But anyway, yeah, cognos they don't let you, you can't certainly can't buy one or sell one. That, that will cost you a good, you know, ticket or jail time or something. I don't know. Yeah, that stinks. But the HeLa's, but, you know, since there's never been a recorded death, Mark Seward, who's, like, the gila dude, who re- literally wrote the book on gilas, he lives in Colorado and his whole thing. So I think he had a lot of impact and input when they, they like, you cannot have venomous snakes. If it's got legs, good. <laughs> so, sweet.
1: And it's, like, most of the time they would never even consider anything like that. Like, uh... You know, they would barely even know what a Gila was. They would probably just say no venomous animals or, you know.
0: Right. And then they'd say no poisonous amphibians or no poisonous reptiles. Okay. <laughs> reptiles. Reptiles. <laughs> Seriously. That's what they would do. Um, that That's – I love those laws. I like – I want to test those laws. I'm like poisonous reptiles so I can't have that Asian tiger snake. Is that what I can't have? Um they but had anyways. their,
2: they had the graphic design people write those laws.
0: <laughs> oh, totally, <laughs> totally. But yeah, I do keep healers. I love them. I'm hoping someday that I will breed them. It's my, my plan. Um, I, uh, I'm super paranoid about putting them down for brumation because, you know, every once in a while, something doesn't go right in brumation. I don't want to lose one of my ba- my babies, and uh, so I'm all scared. But uh, eventually, I'll I'll uh, I'll them and and hopefully see if they can't knock boots and make some eggs and stuff and make some baby little baby little lizards come out.
1: So you just have a pair
0: right now, uh, and then I'm planning to get more because I do want to breed them because I feel if I have more, then I could take the loss and and cry through it less than if I had just <laughs> the two, um, which is terrible. But I, it's a reality. Because we've lost amazing animals. When we were at the zoo and you had, like, all of the stuff you'd ever need, you still lose something sometimes because the stuff doesn't go right. And that's what's scary about, you know, living critters as opposed to, like, dealing in cars or something.
1: But, yeah, especially, I mean, that's where I guess it gets squirrely for all of us, right? When we have to we have to sell. And, like, swell, sell is kind of in quotations because, like, you don't want to sell too much. You want to qualify the buyer, but you also need to move animals, and you can't disqualify every buyer. So it's...
0: Oh, it's yeah, and that's one of the reasons I, like, have dragged my feet on the Gila's 2s because it's like, ah... Uh... I don't want to necessarily sell a a venomous animal to someone. I used to. I used to, but I was also way more bold when I lived in another state. When I I had a license, I was selling rattlesnakes, but I was selling everything to zoos. Everything I had either went to a zoo or a super experienced keeper. And, And so I was very relaxed about it. But these days, it's like, man, I don't know. How would you... Those hot shows where you can go and like an 18-year-old can pick up a monocle cobra.
1: You should and, come to Hamburg, man. It's so. No, hard. you should not. No,
0: you should. I oh, have an anxiety attack, and I'd probably punch somebody. Um, <laughs> and I don't know what your laws are in punching people, but here in Denver, it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs>
1: but, it's just frowned upon here, I'm sure. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well then, hey, let's do it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, I, I used to go to the Texas uh venomous shows and it they'd be like, Well I had a I had a guy lie to my face at a show. Lie to my freaking face. He told me he had some midget faded rattlesnakes, my favorite species of reptile, hands down, period ever. If they were legal I would have a warehouse full of them. Um and for no other reason than just my own enjoyment, I would be that crazy cat lady. But these things, I love them. And he had two of them on his table. And I said, where did you get these CBB or Captured Born and Bred midget Fadeds? And he, he opens a, a magazine article and he shows it to me. He says, the guy that wrote this sent it to me from Europe. And he holds me, the, it's the Reptilia magazine. And the dumbass was showing me my article. I wrote that damn article. I know for sure as hell. I didn't but send, you didn't
2: send it to him. <laughs> oh, my God. And so
0: I was like, are you, is this really happening? Like, what's going on in my head? I'm like, is this really happening? Is this guy that dumb? Or am I this lucky? What do I do? Oh. You know? And, and so I, I showed him my license. And I was like, really? That's me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I sent those to you. God, I don't remember that. And he like walked away. And so I went and got the owner or the head guy of the show. And he called Fish and Wildlife or or, Texas Parks and Wildlife or whatever that is. And I don't know what happened after that, but I have such a distrust of folks now after he showed like bold lied. Like he's trying to like validate it because anyone else would have been like, oh, okay. Because we know a lot of. Rare rattlesnakes got sent to Europe, bred up there, made illegal here, and then brought back captured bread and they're legal, you know, and that really did happen. So it's a legit lie, I guess. Legit lie? Is that even such a thing? But anyway, I, oh man. So I've been to Texas shows and that's what happened at my last Texas show. Or not, that was several years ago. Many, many years ago, actually.
2: Well, hopefully no one's trying to use your name or your article in that way
0: anymore. No, no. I'm sure people have long forgot about that article.
1: So were you mainly, like, when you were in Texas, were you very focused on on keeping and breeding venomous? Yeah, I was keeping and breeding
0: rare um, rattlesnakes. That was my thing. So, I mean, back then, it was midget-fateds, Grand Canyons. So I I had abyssus. I had concolor, I had Lepidus and Clobberi and uh, some Hopies that were like high pink Hopies, The Nuntis, it's a stunted form of the Prairie Rattlesnake that's super pink looking. it got a really cool hue to it. So I was breeding those and uh, that, those were my favorites. I loved that stuff. Still do. If it was legal, oh man, it would be on. Like Donkey Kong, man. Totally would your wife it. be cool with it? I don't care. I, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Kind of. She's actually really kind of yeah. <laughs> it's half kidding. She she she's really cool about it, and I think she would is because she trusts me. Like I I was like religious, super religious about locks and protocols and coming from an AZA thing, you know. And I'd worked in a venomous lab at the university, so we were like all about protocols yeah, you freehandle that thing and boy i'm gonna punch you in the face kind of thing no offense to well yeah actually offense if you're a free handler <laughs> take your offense right <laughs> yeah, so um i wonder what the comments will say about that but anyway
1: who's like i always wonder how is like the best way to get started in keeping venomous snakes
0: a lot of people say they used to say when when i was getting started they say go get a, a racer <laughs> or go get a you know go get a rat snake that's wild caught or go get a uh, coach whip or something of that nature but those only work for like lapids if you're going to work with cobras and stuff like that so and and they don't necessarily translate you could have super docile coach whip i've never seen one but they're probably out there so really it's to hang out with other keepers i think i mean wouldn't you you like just watch someone let someone who knows what they're doing mentor you talk through it lots of observation maybe some hands-on that's coached i think that would probably be the safest go around i mean obviously just hours of steve Irwin would probably not be the best I love Steve, but not your greatest how-to videos. You know, as far as handling. Plus, you know, Steve, he was great, but he his stuff was produced. Some of it was produced, and that's not a bad. Oh,
1: they they were all planted. All all the most of the animals.
0: Right, and like the Arizona episodes, many of those animals, you hear the rattle. But you can visually see it's not rattling. And I'm not knocking Steve. He's one of my heroes. I love the guy. I straight up know that when they produced stuff, they were, like, cooling the animal to make sure it was docile. You know, he had a lot of, you know, knowledge about it, of course. But then he, he knew what he was doing, and he never really took a risk that was exceptional with those, it seemed. Um, but some kid would think, oh, well, then I can dare do that or or some grown adult i think i could go do that and that's not the same when you're you know it's 98 degrees out and you found a western diamondback and you're going to do the same thing good luck it's yeah statistic yeah for
1: sure i remember uh one, one of my favorites is i think he's at uh he may be in Fort Polk or something, which is in Louisiana, which is in the butthole um, yeah. of the country. And yeah. uh, he he found a, a pygmy, and he scooped it up. And then one of the soldiers was coming, and he's like, oh, look at this, mate. And he flipped it over into his fucking hand, this pygmy rattler. And then the guy, just this soldier who has no reptile experience, is just holds this fucking pygmy straight up in his hand. I was freaking out. <laughs> I know.
0: I know. I was like, I guess he weighed the consequences of like venom yield, body weight. He's like, eh, this will just put the guy in like the ER for a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> Although it would be worse, but it could be worse. Uh, but that—that's totally, yeah. I couldn't believe some of the stuff, but he—he he was good. But I, you know, I—I I was a part of um, this new this new show. Wild jobs on Discovery or on an Animal Planet, and they, they they were shooting the pilot here in Colorado, and they needed a rattlesnake, and they didn't have a rattlesnake, and they needed a wrangler, and neither was coming around. But I had a bull snake, so I go out, and they literally video edited the whole thing with a bull snake that I've helped this guy catch. Catch, um, that's my pet right over here, that. And he, and it's a, it was a cool thing that when they did it all, but he, t- he looked at me and goes, dude, y- you need to get a little more animated. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you need to be like, oh, oh my gosh, it's a rattlesnake. Because I was like, hey, there's a rattlesnake right over there, which it was a bull snake, so I wasn't really excited anyway. It was my pet. But yeah, <laughs> produced. everything is produced. It's, uh, it's sad but it's entertainment and that's what it is but i love steve anyway but yeah
1: yeah i Appreciate think it. it's uh it's a it's a weird balance between and then i'm sure you see that on on youtube too as far as you have to be on your channel you're pretty straightforward and factual which i try to be as well but then you could see that other channels do better when you're animated like it's, it's a, that's what makes sense. If you're on TV or something, of course the producers want you to be anime because that's good TV. We're exactly. just nerds who like to talk about snakes, and yeah, we understand that only eight thousand people are going to listen to you and I. Right, but that's that, that, fine with us. But
0: right, it's I I would do things completely different if it, the goal was subscribers. Um, don't get me wrong; I'm grateful for every person that subscribed, but the goal is not subscribers. It's about the integrity of the channel. It's about the... And not that sensationalized content is not integrity. It okay. just has a different goal. And that's it. Cause, and I had a friend, I had a consultant look at my channel because I was like, why is stuff going slow, so slow? Uh, besides the fact that I really needed help. But he goes, dude, you need to take all your little thumbnails... And you need to convey emotion. So take your little picture of yourself doing something amazing, like, and whatever it is, and cut it out and put it on on the thing. And then when you get to your little editing thing, make every color pop, as poppy as you can make it without it looking ridiculous. I was like, why? He's like, because the yellow needs to be the most yellow. The red needs to be the most red. Because when people are scrolling down, they're going to choose what they pick based on what they see and if you fade into the background you're gonna get scrolled right on by you better uh, be the
1: brightest clown in that motherfucker
0: exactly exactly be the brightest clown with the biggest nose and the biggest feet and um i've tried to do that without like i really can't get past that hurdle of sensationalism i don't want to do the my bloody hand, you know, my skink beat me and my fingers are gone. You know, or um, largest thing ever, like in, like everything's the biggest, the brightest, the bestest. Like gag me, man. I, it, I love that stuff. I understand it, but it drives me. Uh,
1: well, we should appreciate it for what it doing. is. Yeah yeah
0: you just appreciate man
1: and not exactly information educational base but
0: right and i i didn't join youtube to get a youtube following i i joined youtube cuz i really f- <laughs> actually it was cuz i got tired of typing in the forums and i thought man i could just make a video it'd be so much easier uh, which was not the truth cuz people
1: still ask funny. you questions from videos <laughs> you made don't they <laughs> Oh my gosh they only ask you questions for videos you made i think right,
0: right. exactly it's like man i shouldn't have made that video because then everyone would know but now they all have just questions because now they don't know it's like i told them what they don't know instead of telling them you know helping educate so yeah it's and sometimes it's like yeah why do they ask a bit that? they do ask questions and it's like it's that's what it's for that's what it's for. Some days I'm like, why does this have to be this way? But it's because it is. And that's okay.
1: <laughs> so what made you, I mean, obviously you said like education, but what's really, or what do you plan to do in the future with your, your YouTube channel?
0: I don't know. My goal is not to quit. That's my goal. I know that's a very low goal, but actually it seems very high on my bar right now. Um, because I, I, I like communicating to people about skinks about my animals um, as long as there's questions people have or a topic that's something I might be able to feel like I, I have some input that could be a value I I want to continue to do that as soon as I can't figure out content and there's no questions to be answered or that i feel i can make a positive contribute contribution to then i think i'm done and it's not um because i'm not doing youtube to youtube uh, i it's there's a there's a means or a goal a, in mind and the goal is to help one my customers and other fellow herpers or reptile people have an additional resource it's not the resource but it's a resource and it's can help people um even if it's a not what what not to do (laughs) but (laughs) i hope it's a what to do but if i could put that out there and it helps then that's great but if i've covered all the bases then then i don't need to make content to make content if that makes sense so I, i do hope to share some things coming in the future we're hoping to go to australia um like hoping as in we bought the tickets so we better be going. Uh, And, and I've got some really great YouTube friends and some folks that we're going to meet up with and do some interesting stuff. But I want it to always be an added value of education, not just, you know, entertainment, not that entertainment's bad. It's just not my thing.
1: Yeah. I think it's cool that we have obviously people reaching the masses, But then once they watch one of their videos on a skink, you may be a related video somewhere down the line or they dig a little bit deeper and they get to, you're like the second or third layer where it's like, you know, that person's serious and they're really,
0: really into it. Exactly. I'm totally cool being somebody's like high school science teacher, not Bill Nye. You know what I mean? Like I'm totally cool later down the line being... The guy that just helps them walk walk through. Oh, that's what you could do about hu- um, humidity. Or, okay, I see now. That's why the temperature needs to be that way. Um, I really just want people's animals to be successful because I believe that the better people have a success with their with their pets, then the better an experience is going to be, not only for them but as a hobby as a whole. Because What's good for the the individual is good for the entire group simply because then the 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 people that are out to get us, you know there's other there's folks out there that don't want us doing any of this um, they have less ammo. I want to just make them completely pointless. They're already pretty much pointless, but they don't know it yet. I'm trying to figure out how to help them with that
1: <laughs> <laughs> What a nice guy <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> So I feel like we we kind of have the, the same idea as far as with corn snakes, I don't care about breeding the next morph and stuff. I have all the cool morphs and stuff to play with, right? But uh, it's really about I want to give as many looks in the snakes so people can get interested in different ways. And the fact is that the same thing that you see in the skinks as far as that's a much easier animal to keep, I feel the same way about corn snakes are, to me, you know – 20 times easier than keeping a ball python, in my opinion. And you're going to have keepers who have a very positive experience with it. So I want to educate them in order to be like a steward of the species. That's the easiest and best to keep because at the end of the day, the more successful you are with the animal, if I can just feed it dog food instead of having UV and all that, you know, like they're going to be successful. They're going to have a good experience and it's going to perpetuate positivity into the hobby.
0: Exactly. That's that's right where I'm at, man. I think we're on the same page. Corn snakes are fantastic snakes. Oh, my gosh. I had corn snakes growing up as well. And I think they're, I mean, it, it is the staple first beginner, aside from ball pythons.
1: But it's not anymore. That's what makes me mad. Yeah, I, yeah. People don't even know. Like, I'll go to a reptile show. People don't even know what they are. <laughs> it's like, what?
0: <laughs> that's true. Can you... I can't even fathom that, uh, that that's not the common go-to animal, which, like, it, it blows my mind. But because of ball pythons, which, you know, I don't hate ball pythons at all. I love no. my ball pythons. They've done amazing things. It's, uh, you know, it is the big ticket item these days, and it's kind of sad um, because oh, there's and so and many other those,
1: Yeah, and that's what those guys, since there's more people breeding them – and stuff like that i mean they're gonna market them the best because there's more of them and just that
0: became the number one pet yep and all mm. pythons like it's a miracle that i have my 30 year old belt python because i was eight years old my dad didn't know anything about reptiles and i've got this small python it is it's a straight up miracle that he's still around because they're not the they're not the easiest to keep they go off I Me mean, go on hunger strikes, they, they you know, there's humidity out issues with shedding and there's stress issues. And it's not like a corn snake. Once a corn snake's feeding and, and I, you can say, I don't know, because I'm not like a super corn snake person, but man, it's like an unstoppable beast. It's just going to live forever as long as you just keep doing it, it you yeah. know, everything right. And they're so forgiving, which. And they're good, handleable animals for the most part. Not every one of them. Some of them are a little... But most of them are just rock stars. And that that's kind of why I wanted to do skinks, because I think skinks are the corn snake of lizards, more so than bearded dragons, because they don't need as, as much involvement. They don't need as an elaborate issue. They're more forgiving. A blue tongue, fed dog food with vitamin d3 supplement can live on any type of well not any type of substrate it's like can't put it on thumbtacks but <laughs> yeah. you know an average reptile substrate that's not healthy sand you should be fine uh and you know cypress I like it's so easy once you get things dialed in they just go and they live and that's what corn snakes do too all pythons do eventually once you get you know what you're doing, but it's, it's just, just people that.
1: freak out. I feel more than anything else. You know, they freak out yeah. when they stop eating or have a bad shed, and then it's crisis. Me too,
0: man. I like I've kept so many like rare things and like hard to keep animals in the zoo and at home. Like I was ready for something that's just gonna live. I I just want something that's gonna eat because I, you know, run into the skink room and or the reptile room and. Peek and hope that it's still alive I hate that feeling you know I hate that feeling <laughs> and, and I, I could relate to that for a lot of people because they panic on ball pythons um but I've panicked on ball pythons before too <laughs> little rascals sometimes don't eat
1: yeah, yeah that's for sure <laughs> and uh let's talk about th- other things that don't eat I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that you bred uh pygmy pythons or anhill pythons
0: Thank you. Yeah. I'm, uh, way excited. Uh, these tiny little snake worms that I've got, uh, I'm so pumped. They, um, they haven't, haven't eaten yet, but that's okay. They, they haven't even shed their first shed, but the Stimpsons ones are a little small or a little bigger, but they haven't eaten uh, on their own yet either. Um, I'm going to start with a few more tricks, but yeah, these little guys, the pygmy pythons, for the most part, I think you have to assist feed them unless you have the, I guess, little tiny baby geckos that you could feed regularly, which is not going to happen. But I'm not I'm not an aneurysia expert, like, at all. Like, I bought, I bought a pair, I put them together, they did their thing, got eggs, and just like two days ago, the little buggers bo- bo- popped out. And I am so excited. I... They're really small, like holy crap, small. Like, I'm trying to figure out. I have to buy probably smaller mice to get a smaller tail to assist feed them. They're so tangy. Um, but yeah, that, that's super fun. I, I'm prepared for that considering I've worked with like mountain kings and stuff that get just, they're little finicky boogers, lizard feeders, you know, and they're little. When they have that ontogenetic diet shift from lizards to rodents and from baby to adult, that that's just a a booger of a, a problem. But you were saying that you you baked a, or boiled a, a an anole stew or something that worked.
1: Yeah, which I don't know if that uh, I heard the the anterasia in particular are more attracted to geckos more so than anoles, so. That may yeah. something
0: else. Yeah. And so I'm hoping that there's, I think there's a, a gecko scent that Reptilinks makes. I've just heard someone had just mentioned it on one of the Asia, uh forums. They said they'd had some success with their Stimpsons on it. So I'm going to grab that and give that a try. And uh, yeah, at least for now, I think most, um, most folks help or assist feed. For quite a while until the little guys were beefed up enough to, I mean, the, the, I can't I mean even fathom the idea of a whole, even a teeniest pink going into that little thing. I mean, they're this long. I mean, how in the heck?
1: So, is he he's, he's like, basically, that's be- the space between his pointer finger and his thumb. Like, that's probably like five inches or so less than that oh someone may be calling him
0: we lost him again for there we go i'm back my dad Dad. he's calling (laughs) persistent (laughs) so it's probably like five
1: or five inches or so like
0: yeah i mean the thing is teeny i mean itty bitty i could get one real quick you want to see it oh yeah absolutely okay let's go get one
1: so if you guys don't know, pygmy pythons or the anthill python are the smallest python species in the world. So that's why it's super cool and I would assume super hard to get them to eat stuff. But uh, you should see an adult will pretty much fit in the palm of your hand. It's crazy. Um, Here we go. All right. There he is. Can you see it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much a a baby corn snake.
0: I mean, he's he's about, mm, and I'm a little person, so. (laughs) There he is. He's just a little guy, maybe six inches, probably. Let's see, he's the length of my iPhone 7. And very, very busy pattern. It is. They, they look a lot like children's pythons the, with all the spots and stuff. Once they're older, they really fade away. Um, the ones like, I've like, seen were like predominantly
1: brick red.
0: Yeah, that's what mom and dad look like. They're like just brick red little, little, little boogers. Let me put him back real quick. you, too, buddy
1: yeah but that's a super super awesome species of i mean obviously a very very one-of-a-kind python
0: yeah i i i'm pumped i they're my favorite they're like my australian version of the midget faded rattlesnake in my head at least i don't know i made that con connection and now i love them That's all i needed Right. <laughs> so.
1: uh and you you have some other anterigia you have Stimsons as well
0: I have Stimsons. They're Eastern Stimpsons, and they just bred. I got uh, uh, I had six babies born, and they're doing great. Um, and I love them. Um, my favorites are the Wheatbelt, um, the locality of Stimsons Python called the Wheatbelt Stimsons, Western Stimsons, and they are spectacular. They have like a a red. Um, their pattern is like a brick red with like a golden wheat color um maybe that's because wheat belt, but i think it's something else but i think they're gorgeous i really want some i just saw excuse me i just saw someone breed them uh, or just had eggs in europe and unfortunately because they're australian i don't know if we can get them right now from europe but so there's no one in
1: the u.s with them
0: they're i believe australian addictions has some western simpsons uh uh Justin Julander and uh, I think he's in Utah he I think he has some western stimpsons so I might have to hit him up too that's where my pygmies are from so I'll have to I'll have to pester him for some yeah they're very uncommon that specific locality of west or like the wheat belt or western stimpsons super uh, super rare like on the rare side of rare so I yeah, totally want them though
1: so, is there any uh, any reason why you went towards that particular genus? Um,
0: I like pipe. Py- you know, I like pythons. I I just I find these little snakes fun. They're they're like um to me they look like a little miniature. I mean, I don't know, a miniature olive python or something like on micro scale. So, and and. I like, I like to be able to keep animals well with as much space as I can provide them that's, you know, appropriate. Um, I don't need to just give space to give space if they don't appreciate it, but if there is some sort of value added to the animal, and I want – so I like small stuff. Uh, I don't have a ton of space in my, my setup. And so, yeah, I think the, the small size to have a python – I also breed rosy boas i love rosy boas and you know the small stuff for some
1: reason the uh it seems like the like head shape kind of the body shape is very similar between like the Antaresia and the rosy but for some reason i can see that connection
0: oh yeah one i mean i got my live birth and i get to play with eggs on the other side you know and so um and and they're both once they're feeding. They're like little monsters. You just, little machines. You put a mouse in front of them, eat, mouse, eat, rodent, eat, boom. Um, sometimes you put your finger that smells like a rodent and they will try to eat too. Um, and um, I, I'm I'm in love with the, the smaller stuff because I, I can have, I can keep them well. And I, I want to be able to keep stuff well. I don't want big stuff crammed in little spaces um, or even medium stuff crammed in moderate spaces. I just like to have um, enough room for them. It, it's a mental thing with me. It has is there's no real facts behind it other than I like to see space. That's all.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I went through the same decision making process with. I I still have some pythons, but I mean, I have one olive python because it's like I can I can maybe figure out how to make this work for one giant snake, but I don't even know if I want another. But um, Rosie Boas, are you into locality or morphs?
0: A little bit of both. Like right now, I'm breeding a pure locality morph. It's one of the only ones out there, which is the Pioneer Town Anatheristic Rosie Boa. Um, I love locality as well. Uh, I had some Rosarios, uh, I had um, the Limberg Albinos, which isn't really, I mean, it's a Temecula ish area but i don't believe it had a true locality but these pioneer towns were straight up locality pie towns and they were actually what's cool about the anorea they, they came from a wild collected pair that were normal wild type bred together produced an out of out, like produced in captivity uh, which is super cool uh, and then they've been kept pure from a few dedicated Readers, and of course, anything beyond like F2, people are like, It's not locality anymore. <laughs> and I've, obviously, but you can't look at the wild and you your constant source, cause it's only two generations out. So, um, they're technically you know more than F2, so for those pure hardcore locality guys yeah they're just a morph sorry guys but
1: there's those, uh, there's those guys who by the way i want to clarify if you start line breeding all of a sudden it's not locality anymore for right. whatever reason
0: right i don't get it but i can see i can see they're they like i understand yeah. i get it because they like it doesn't represent the wild anymore
1: it has to look like shit for them to like it <laughs> right <laughs> right how dare you breed the best looking snake you can make. Right.
0: So it's like, if I just take them and put them all together and just, okay, now breed and close my eyes, then it's wild again. (laughs) I understand that, but I understand locality folk and, and that way, but obviously you cannot, you absolutely cannot. Continually take from the wild to continue to only have F2s, you know? you you just can't do that it's not it's not logical it's not like my australian blue tongue skinks are all of a sudden from bangkok you know they're they're still from australia they're still but i can totally see why some australians have said like with the blue tongues like as people have been line breeding them for specific traits they're like it doesn't even look like a northern anymore and i would agree it doesn't it doesn't and so i understand that but yeah i love the. The rosy boas, I, I have some mountain springs, I have some pioneer towns, and then I have the annery pioneer towns, which I love so much because they are purple. At least they look purple in my eyes. Someone else might have a different color palette, but...
1: Melissa always purple. gets on me that, that we call too many things in the hobby purple that are not... Or lavender is the one. Lavender, we yeah. use a lot. She's like, that is not in any way purple or lavender.
0: <laughs> I i feel like mine are close i don't know maybe they're not i don't know they look they have baby blue eyes and they look lavenderish gray the as they get older they look more gray but well
1: i'm sold already gray. man blue eyes and oh if they look purple gray. to you
0: they'll probably look purple to me probably yeah if you like purple then they look purple yeah they're pretty cool little guys i um, i'm a big fan of of those over the other anneries that seem to have a lot more blue to them, um, in the in the because uh, there's a Borrego egg annery and there's a Morongo Valley exanthic, uh, and that's a pretty cool rosy boa too, and uh, they're all absolutely stunning. I would have all of them. I would I would be out of control if I won the lottery. It would be a reptile palooza. <laughs> It'd be great.
1: So we have reached two hours and you need to call your dad back. Oh man, I do. So (laughs) um, if anyone wants to reach out for you or reach out to you and where can they find you?
0: Um, You can find me at reptilemountain.com. My email is on the front page and the contact. Uh, You can also find me on YouTube, of course, reptilemountain.tv um i had an instagram i was a little addicted to it so i needed to take a break from it still have one but don't go looking for it right now because it won't be up um and i think and then facebook i'm Mountain on facebook and there.
1: yeah and as for me because melissa got too hot because it's 80 degrees in here now because we had to turn the ac off to record ouch uh <laughs> yeah right uh poor city pythons.com Port city pythons on instagram youtube all of that good stuff all the stuff we said in the beginning see you guys at carpet fest i can't wait it will be a fun time tc thank you for hanging out with us thanks man
0: appreciate it
1: have a good one guys we will see you next week